So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to this latest episode of Our Authentic Careers. Before diving in, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to each and every one of you for being really loyal listeners. I am tremendously grateful that you give some of your most precious time to tune in each and every week. And obviously, I'm equally grateful to our amazing guests who consistently do what I personally think is not so easy to do. And that is to open up about their journeys, to give us that front row seat to how it is they're going about finding their most authentic careers. And this week's podcast is no different. My former colleague, Catherine Ong, opens up about her path and is particularly forthright about the impact that financial obligations had on the decisions she made along the way. And what I love about that is that it's truly not dissimilar from many of the other guests I've had on the show. There seems to be this weird curve that so many of us travel, which I think you could kind of break down into three eras. The first is what I might call the experiment with abandon era, where we, we feel largely unencumbered by financial considerations, the earlier parts of our lives. The second I might call the financial obligations era, <laughs> where my oh-so-creative titling suggests our financial obligations smack us in the face. And the third one might be called, get ready for this, it's a long one, are trying to put our financial obligations and fears in perspective so we can return to the state of abandon era. I don't know. I'm just throwing something out because that curve is so common and has such massive impact on how it is we go about finding our most authentic careers. So consider that. And in the meantime, please allow me to present to you my conversation with Catherine Ong. Firstly, thank you for, uh, for agreeing to share your journey. Happy to be here. Question number one for you, Catherine, do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what it is I'm meant to be doing here on this planet? Oh, definitely. I think it's changed a lot for me over the years, um, but I come from a, a family of environmentalists, so um, and they're very politically active. Um, so I think my family's definitely instilled in me this sense of having a, a purpose, trying to change the world sort of thing. Yep. Um, but as you uh, journey through life and collect college debt, <laughs> <laughs> I think your sense of purpose might, might change a little. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because I really thought I was going to be environmentalist going into my undergrad. I, I created a nonprofit when I was 16. So I was determined to try to save the tropical rainforest. <laughs> right. Um, so 
uh, which was very successful. I got press coverage and we were speakers at the first international youth environmental summit in Loveland, Colorado. And I got in-kind support to go there. And <laughs> I mean, yeah. that was very, very, we saved a lot of rainforest. Um, but, but then once I hit, it's probably graduate school. Um, I was trying to figure out, I mean, ultimately in my undergrad, I, I figured out that what I'm really intrigued by is the fact that I like, I like, and I'm good at persuading people. Yep. So my undergrad looked at um, social psychology and persuasion from a micro to a macro level. So I did spend some time looking at mass genocides and horrible examples of persuasion, but I'm just with the entire range of that. Um, when I go to graduate school, I realized that that that's mostly marketing and communications. Yep. And at the same time, um, it's not the first time I started doing technology stuff. I actually built my first website during my undergrad in 1994. Um, but even before that, my parents gave me a Commodore 64 when I was 13 and I was coding it and <laughs> trying to make it right. make animal sounds and stuff. So, I mean, I wasn't scared of technology. Um, so for a while there, I thought, well, maybe um, I could be a web developer because here I am going to Georgetown for my master's and paying for it myself. So I was like, I need to come up with some way of paying off that debt. So, Catherine, what would you say was sort of the earliest age when you realized that, you know, this idea of persuasion was part of your purpose or mission? I had leadership positions really early. I think I was president of my 4-H club at like age nine or something. Uh -huh. um, and I started conference planning when I was 13. Um, I planned my first conference and had 200 kids show up and I negotiated with the hotel and everything. Yeah. Um, so it was somewhere between middle school and high school that I was just sort of probably around the same time where the rainforest stuff was really um, kicking off. It was like, why do people follow me? I mean, in a good way, but you know, like I'm really good at getting people to follow me. And at the same time, I was also doing debate in high school. I got involved in the debate club and it became the thing to attend when we were doing debates. And I think a lot of that was potentially driven by me. I know there were a couple instances where, you know, people would stop me in the corridor and be like, are you doing the debate? If so, I got to go, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it was the fun thing to do in my high school. Got it. Let me ask this question then from another angle. Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? No, because I really thought I was going to be an environmentalist. And I really think, sadly, coming to D.C. changed my perspective on that. Because uh -huh. um, once you live here and see how politics actually work, um, I just got disheartened about the whole process. Um, yeah. Since then, I've worked at environmental nonprofits, and it hasn't necessarily um, changed my perspective on effective ways to impact the environment. Yeah, got it. Can you tell us, um, tell the listeners what it is that you do today? So I provide online marketing, coaching and training and consulting services to a wide range of clients at the moment. Usually they're enterprise clients. People come to me because they have a relatively big website and potentially they've discovered they're not getting as much Google traffic as they want. Most of my clients tend to be the ones that want to learn how to fix some of it themselves. So they don't want an agency to come in and fix it for them. Instead, they want to train internal staff on how to um, stay up to date on the latest Google practices or do their own promotion or do their own content writing. So Catherine, let's, let's step back for a second. So you grow up with this sort of environmental halo, activism halo around you. 
Mm-hmm. How does that impact your schooling? How does that impact your decisions, you know, kind of growing up through high school and, and, and college? Yeah, so it's not so much the environmental bit, but it's the fact that I was a, a young activist, a young person that was very active. Yep. Um, so I was doing two things in high school. One, I was running this um, environmental this Rainforest Challenge project, that was a approved environmental group in high school. So we actually took off time to go educate kids in other schools. And so we would leave for half a day and go somewhere else and teach kids about the rainforest. Um, That was all approved absences. But the other thing I was really involved with was 4-H work. And I was actually involved in high school in planning both of their national conferences. Um, Back in the day, they had National 4-H Congress, which was in Chicago, and Conference, which was here in D.C. And that required me... um, and it's, it's an elite group. They only pick five kids from around the country to be part of the planning committee each year. Um, but it required me flying to D.C. or Chicago or wherever to work on the logistics around planning the conference. None of that was approved absences in high school. So I came within a day of losing my grade point average because I was on these national planning committees. Right. So really dedicated to that. Yeah. And I totally tanked a test in biology or some science um, class because the per- I was gone, um, actually, I think at the conference for like a week. And um, he refused to give me any tutoring when I came back. I'd missed a whole section of this science class and he refused to help me catch up. He just made me take the test. So those kinds of experiences really made me primed to go to Hampshire College, <laughs> Yep, yep. <laughs> basically, where you can pick your own education and everything you do inside and outside the classroom counts towards your overall undergrad education. Can you explain to folks what is what does the 4-H do? 4-H is a youth development organization. It was um, founded in the early 19th century, and it's um, similar sort of to Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, except it doesn't have that same uh, sort of military overtone. Um, but it was founded by U.S. Department of Agriculture originally, um, and it was partially because the Extension Service was trying to educate farmers on the latest ways to grow pigs or crops based on what's coming out of the universities. And the farmers weren't actually listening to the university folks, but they realized the kids were. Yep. So they started educating the kids about these latest techniques, all related to agriculture stuff. So that's where 4-H got its start, but 4-H is now global. Um, it's in cities. Um, you can do pretty much any project you want through 4-H. So obviously my rainforest preservation project was actually a 4-H project. Um, a friend of mine did aeronautics and went to space camp. I mean, it's a wide range of stuff that you can do. When you kind of look at where you are today uh, doing this online consulting work, marketing work, how do you juxtapose that with this kind of previous version of Catherine? And that's a really good question. I think right now I have a nonprofit client. And so in some ways that makes me happy when I can actually land something that's I'm helping, um, yeah, a, a nonprofit entity yep. sort of with their online marketing. Um, otherwise, I'm just at the moment just really passionate about particularly giving younger people skills they don't currently have that makes them very marketable in the marketplace. Yep. Um, the other thing I really like about online marketing is that it changes all the time. And so it's a career where you have to be constantly learning and constantly self-learning, um, which has been my, in my entire education, undergrad and graduate was, were like that. And obviously I was doing that as well when I was running the nonprofit because nobody trained me on what was going on with the tropical rainforest. I right. figured it out myself. <laughs> right. Um, and I wrote the curriculum myself by figuring out what curriculums were and, <laughs> you know, where does that come from? Where does that sort of 
um, you know, self figuring out drive come from? I more think about the people in my life that probably encouraged it than anything. Um, I, and again, they were all 4-H references because that was my earliest influence. My parents, of course, and they were also involved in 4-H. But my aunt was my 4-H leader for a couple of years. And something simple, like I remember it was probably 9 or 10. And we were we some 4-H workshop thing for half a day. And there were a bunch of projects going on. And the one I got stuck on, um, or that she assigned me to, was table setting, as silly as it is. Uh-huh. It was all about how to learn how to properly set a table. And she told me that <laughs> that I was going to teach people about how to do proper table settings, at which point I looked at her and I said, I don't know how to do a proper table setting. And she's like, I'm going to show you right now, and you're going to teach people in half an hour. Okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of experiences in 4-H that were similar, a little bit of tra- uh, trial under fire sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Um and the conference planning started because I was talking to my extension agent and I said, it's not fair that we have to go all the way to Massachusetts to be part of a teen 4-H conference. Why isn't there one in Maine? And she says, I don't know. Why don't you plan one? And I was like, okay. Um, right. And then she handed me the Kid's Guide to Social Action, which is this book that has templates for how to do grant writing and write a press release and all that other stuff. And I literally just was like, cool, I'll figure it out. Um, so I think I had a lot of people early in my life that just just encouraged me to figure it out. Yeah. So you mentioned your parents. Can I ask what it is they did or do? Um, yeah. My my mom is a, um, or was a child protective social worker. Uh-huh. Um, so she took on the tough cases of kids that would run away from home, um, had to go get them, bring them back to the foster care system and stuff. So that was kind of tough. Yep. Um, he's now retired. And my dad was in Vietnam for 13 odd years. Um, and then when he came back, he was a hairdresser, and he ran his own sign shop. And later in life, he became a public speaker, actually. So oh, wow. he played Father Christmas for quite a few years and um, does um, inspirational storytelling now. Um, a lot of vet events at the moment, but used to be a wide range of stuff. What would you say has been their impact on your career, your decision-making processes along the way? I think the rabble rousing probably came from my father for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, He tells stories about, well, so he founded, he was behind the first bottle bill in, I think the country, Maine was one of the first ones to introduce a bottle bill and he built the first recycling center in Maine. And he tells this story about how um, while he was in the Navy, they were going to do a, maneuver um, coming up onto one of the beaches and press were there and they knew that my dad was a big environmentalist and all the big wigs in the Navy were there as well and they turned to him and they said don't you think this exercise might permanently damage the dunes (laughs) and instead of (laughs) following the Navy line and be like well no or lie or something um, instead he says yes I think it might actually irreparably (laughs) damage (laughs) these dunes Um, so yeah he's got a rabble rousing kind of background and my mom is brilliant and teaches herself all sorts of things she's a mensa member and she taught herself lithuanian just because she wanted to Uh especially since the internet came to maine and to my parents house she's certainly been teaching herself all sorts of things just because she wants to so i think to sort of figure it out on your own stuff um, Uh from, from an intellectual perspective came from my mom and for folks who don't know can you explain what mensa is oh yeah it's the um organization for people that have high iqs yep can you tell us what that's like to grow up <laughs> with somebody who has a really high IQ? <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, she, 
<laughs> honestly, she wanted me to get tested and I never did because I was worried that I might not pass. <laughs> right. So I, I've never actually applied to Mensa. Um, yeah, I mean, she just gets on these intellectual tangents about all sorts of things. Uh -huh. So she, um, even though she's now Taoist, for a while there she was fascinated with the true story of Jesus Christ, and she's got like 40-something Bibles in the house and all these other versions of religious texts, and she's never written anything out of it. She just got fascinated by it. Uh -huh. dead copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls and all this other stuff. Um so she has projects like that. She just gets really intellectually fascinated by different things, and she digs in from a research perspective. As you're going along your career path, what kind of advice are you seeking from them? What kind of advice are they giving you? Well, um, interestingly, because I've been starting my own business, my dad's been giving me some advice about running his business. And I have to admit that um, that it was my hesitancy throughout my career about starting my own business came from watching my dad and his business. Vastly different, of course, because um, I'm a service business. I can have clients anywhere. Um, my father's business relied on mean economy. Yep. So different. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very different. Um, but so it's been interesting uh, to sort of talk to my dad about managing clients and that sort of stuff, especially since, whereas my mom's the one on the internet doing research, my dad's actually not very tech savvy. So yep. it's it's been interesting. You mentioned earlier, you had this idea of a purpose or mission, then college debt comes along. My next question is, is on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow, how large of a shadow would you say the financial considerations have had on your career path to date? Probably like a six or a seven. It depends on where I was at in my career and how much the debt was. Yep. Um, yeah, because right before I left graduate school, I was working at Youth Service America, and it's the only job I've had in my career where I loved every day going into work. There was one day I didn't like going to work out of three years of working there. That's amazing. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. It really it really felt like my family. Um, I just loved everything I, I was doing. What I was doing was encouraging young people to volunteer in their communities and training them on how to talk to the media. Wow. So they could tell their stories about their volunteering. So as you could tell, it's very close to my heart. It was just, I loved it. Yeah. Um, but the I graduated from... Georgetown, the debt started coming and I actually tried really hard to just pick up a bunch of part-time jobs and somehow figure out how to keep this very low-level nonprofit salary um, with a couple of part-time jobs and somehow make that work and pay the debt and it just wasn't possible. Can you tell me about this Youth Services America job? What What is it exactly that, if you look back and you assess what is that thing that brought you the most joy in that job on a daily basis, what would you say that was? Uh, the impact, I think. Yep. And it was the ripple effect. I mean, not that I was, um, yeah, so well, mostly what I did is I had small grants from State Farm, and I was giving them away to these people. So for, for two grand at the time, um, I would try to recruit a nonprofit in a city to do an event that had 3,000 young people or more that would come out over the weekend of Global Youth Service Day and then also have celebrities or some other tie to get press attention around that event. So a lot of persuasion, obviously. It's a very little amount of money. They obviously have to go fundraise and find other sources of income for this. Yep. Two, two grand's not enough. Um, and so it became this um, contest, too, to figure out how big I could get these events. So when we started, the first event, I think, was like 8,000 young people in D.C. And when I ended my run at Youth Service America, the largest event was... 
I want to say it was Kansas City, but it was 72,000 young people in one city. Wow. Yeah, for two grand. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And so again, just to drill down here for a second, but when you're thinking about the impact or I'm trying to get it very specific, what is it that's that's most moving to you? Was it the engagement with the children or was it the uh, ability to generate press or was it the ability to just see one event get larger after the next, after the next? To be honest, part of it, I think was my, what I would consider my persuasion ability. So yep. getting them bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so more, which also means more impact. Um, but the ability to convince people to do bigger stuff than they thought they could. Um, but then I also think the underlying current is also the fact that the impact that all those volunteer events had during the day, right? So, cause yep. the bigger the events get, the more lives are being changed in that city by, young people going out and getting involved in their community. That's the also the part that I also really loved. It's not adults volunteering. It's yep. kids that are becoming engaged in their community, even though they can't vote yet. That's what drove me crazy when I was a young person is that I had to wait till 18 to vote. It was a big passion moment for me, yeah. um, which is why the um, Rainforest Challenge project I launched was all about getting young people to solve the problem, even though they can't vote by purchasing acres and by doing some other things. So when you think back again to this job and what brought you satisfaction, what part of that do you feel like you've, you're still carrying with you in your current endeavor? That's a good question. I think the, the pieces that I still carry forward is the persuasion piece. Yep. A lot of doing, since I really focus on SEO, a lot of it is persuading people of, that they really need to do things a certain way because that's what works best in Google. Yep. Um, that's always really challenging because half the time you're telling somebody their website is not as perfect as they thought it was. Yep. So I, I like that. But I also really like the giving people um, confidence and skills that they didn't have so yep. they can get more engaged. And in particular now it's all pivoted around because I came from a, a relatively um, low-income family. And so I really like when I can give young people skills that also came from that similar background and I know that they're going to be um, employed. And so when you think about... Um the persuasion skills and you're applying them now to SEO is, is the feeling the same? I mean, do you get the same level of satisfaction out of an SEO success than you, as you did, um, in that kind of event? I did when I worked in an environmental working group because I was promoting something that I thought people should know about. Yep. Um, but for a lot of my clients, not necessarily. I mean, I, I do have this, that's probably where my mom comes in. I, you know, a lot of SEO is researching and tinkering and trying something. Yep. And so a piece of my brain really enjoys that. And I really in, generally enjoy persuading people. I had a job doing sales at one point. So I like the idea of persuading people and changing their mind. So anytime yep. I have that moment, wherever it occurs, I like that. Um, but certainly, yeah, there is this missing piece of this young action, youth action piece that I'm not getting right now. Thinking back, Catherine, to your career and life and thinking about your friends, family, and colleagues, is there a consistent thread in the type of counsel that they've sought from you throughout the years? Well, I mean, the, the friends and family and such over the last 10 years where I've been really focused on digital marketing, I've certainly, they've certainly come to me with digital marketing questions. And I would say almost over the same period of time, I've provided a lot of counsel to people about... Um, their careers, particularly if they're interested in the digital marketing space, because I've done a lot of hiring. Yep. Um, I help people review people's resumes and that sort of thing and help them with interview questions and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
And before you were in the digital marketing space, do you have any recollection of what people were, what kind of advice people were seeking from you? I've done a lot of interviewing in my life. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and so I think I've been providing the counsel on resumes and interviewing techniques for a long time. So when people come up to you and ask you for advice about interviewing resumes, all that jazz, what's that experience like for you? I mean, the stuff that comes to mind most currently is usually people, and it's usually young people that are directly out of college that have never, it's very frustrating, but they've never gotten any advice or training about how to properly put together a resume. I remember at Ketchum as we were interviewing young people for the team, um, there were often times where it wasn't on their resume, but I just sort of got a hint of something during the actual face-to-face -face interview and start asking. Yep. And next thing you know, all this information comes out of them that wasn't on paper. That was highly relevant. Like, right. um, you know, they've run a YouTube campaign or yeah, they've done Facebook or sure, they know how to touch HTML code, all this stuff that's completely valid. It's just they hadn't done it in a job situation, so they didn't think that they should put it on their resume. So yeah, a lot of, and I remember being on a, I've done two career boards, I think. One was for something catch related, and one was for Georgetown, actually, um, where I was sort of the employed expert on the panel, and everybody else is sort of asking you questions about getting into the space. Yeah. Uh, and similar. That's yeah. mostly what I tell people. I also do a lot of... Um, particularly in SEO and digital marketing. Um, well, and then as a side note, I do similar stuff for Hampshire because Hampshire used to um, have previous alums screen people that were applying to go to Hampshire. Yep. Um, they don't do it anymore. They stopped a couple of years ago. But, um, but part of what I do is dissuade people because I feel like both with Hampshire and with digital marketing, you have to be the right personality to be successful in the space um, or at the college. Um, and so if you don't have that self-initiated curiosity, I can figure it out myself piece of your personality, then you should just go find something else. Right. <laughs> it's right. just not for you. But if, if that is you, then welcome. This is where you need to be. <laughs> right. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to hang out here for a second, but when you're, when you are um, doing this kind of uh, engaging with someone like this um, on a career counseling basis, can you describe to me what is the satisfaction you get out of that? Oh, I mean, I, I, I get tons of satisfaction around mentoring people in their yeah. career. Definitely. I think it's tough because it's, um, it's hard to talk about your career objectively with your friends. Yeah. Um, I think everybody needs to find some sort of outside reference to talk to. Um, and I think young people in particular have a hard time making connections with someone maybe a bit more senior that can give them some perspective on their career and its longevity. Um, I mean, I was a little lucky in that I found a couple people that helped me with that. Obviously, in my 4-H experience was a little bit like that. I had these adults that were sort of helping me figure out how to learn things, right? Um, but then also I had um, a boss at um, Points of Light Foundation who ended up becoming my mentor. Um, and we're still in contact today. And she's been my sounding board for years. Um, but it's... Yeah, I know it's kind of hard to find that good fit with somebody that can give you that kind of feedback. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really critical. And Catherine, have you ever considered, I mean, just from the way you're talking about it, you certainly have a ton of experience in it. Have you ever considered varying your career in that direction? I'm actually working on a online um, SEO boot camp type class targeted toward um, people coming out of college that want to get involved in digital marketing. Uh-huh. Um, 
which involves uh, a regular coaching element, just because there's a, there's a huge need for search agencies to have people that are somewhat trained in the space. Yep. I know that I've had an ability to effectively train young people. I've, at this point, I've trained 16 young people that are employed in digital marketing space effectively. Some have moved on to Google, some are Twitter. You know, they've, they've moved on to really successful careers. Um, yep. So I know I have a formula of how to take you from nothing to a good foundation. Yep. Um, and I do really miss that mentoring piece. Um, so that's why I'm sort of creating my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's yeah. awesome. A couple more questions here before we wrap up. Uh, what would you say has been, I guess, looking back, um, what's been the biggest aggravation on your path to date? Or alternatively, is there a decision you'd, you would redo or somehow choose to undo? Yeah, I had a couple of gigs that were very short term. I think um, part of what I learned from it was that uh, – Sometimes it's most important to make sure you like your supervisor more than even necessarily the job, um, depending on where you go. Ideally, you would like the job and the supervisor. But if right. you have any um, hesitations about your future supervisor at a job you're about to take, don't take the job. Yep. Uh, definitely, because those have been ones that crashed and burned. <laughs> yeah. And on the flip side, what would you tout as your biggest career highlight to date? I mean, I think I have like three big ones. I mean, the, the Youth Service America one is obviously one of them. I also um, was one of the first hires for 1-800-Volunteer.org when it first launched. And I was director of marketing and sales. And we took it from um, new to market to market leader in three years. Wow. So, um, yeah, I got recruited by one of the other software competitors to leave and work for them, which I think is probably a good sign that you're doing something well when right, <laughs> they want a right. sales, salesperson. Um, so, so yeah, definitely that. And then the, when I, <laughs> I didn't mean to lose the server at environmental working group for four days, but when we launched the cell phone radiation report and we got 1.2 million visitors up from 300,000 and that's, that's with amazing. four days of lost traffic. Right. So I think those are pr probably the, the big ones that I feel very proud of. Awesome. Well, Catherine Ong, thank you so much. Really, really interesting conversation. Yeah, this has been fun. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.